This Wellness Couch podcast proudly brought to you by the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast hosted by food scientist Kribben Govinda. If you're fascinated by all things gut health, the microbiome, fermented foods, mental health, mitochondrial health and more, then search for the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast on your favorite podcast app and get listening. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast, featuring actionable tips from real people with real stories about real food. This show is presented by Primal Health Coach Helen Marshall, who empowers other paleo-loving, thermomix-owning mums to start a sustainable, faff-free business of their own with the Primalista License. The Primalista License brings Primal Alternatives to the foods we love to our communities, making Primal Living more doable with less falling off the wagon. The Primalista License is available at www.primalalternative.com. And now, introducing your host, Helen Marshall. Welcome to episode 65 of the podcast with the awkward acronym PAP, the Primal Alternative Podcast. On this show, I am so excited to bring to you the absolutely amazing Cindy O'Meara. So Cindy is a nutritionist, a filmmaker of What's With Wheat, which I'm sure you've watched. And if you haven't, it's such a good documentary, you should watch it. And she's also the best-selling author of Changing Habits, Changing Lives. She's a real food advocate, an international speaker, and she's also founder of Changing Habits, which is an online holistic health destination offering wellness products, programs, and education to best nourish yourself and your family through food that's chemical-free, sustainable, trusted, and ethical. She's so passionate about empowering people to make simple and long-lasting changes to their health. Cindy offers life skills to eliminate unhealthy habits while motivating people to make informed choices about the foods they're consuming to better nourish the body for optimal health and well-being. Now, I was so excited because um, I was a guest on Cindy and Kim and Karen's podcast, Up For A Chat, which is such a great podcast with such an amazing um, following, like thousands of people, millions, I think, listen to that. And I just was so stoked when I met Cindy at the Wellness Summit in 20, when was it, 2018. And I gave her some of our primal alternative products. And she was like, what are you doing? I want you to be on my podcast. And I was like, oh my God, what a thrill. And never occurred to me that Cindy would be on my podcast. Like, why would she want to be on my little podcast, right? Isn't it funny the stories we tell ourselves? Anyway, Cindy's team, or maybe it was Cindy directly, I'm not sure, but they approached me to have Cindy on the show. And, you know, just have one of those pinch me moments. And it's so interesting because I always get so nervous before I interview legends like Cindy. But yet when you speak to people like Cindy, you realize that they're just people like you and I, you know, we kind of put them on some kind of um, pedestal, which is just so ridiculous. Um, And I actually believe that the more successful people are, the more approachable and real they are. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, they don't have any ego. They're just out there, you know, on a mission to empower the people 
and they're like genuinely authentically passionate about what they're doing, which is so great. And I just, I just feel so honored that, um, Cindy loves primal alternatives so much. She actually said she buys our products, which is just like amazing, uh, to see that, you know, people that you look up to in the industry who are got really high standards in terms of what they will eat and um, nourish their bodies with. They're buying our products, which is just like the biggest oh, compliment ever. It's a compliment, isn't it? Let's face it. It's just incredible. So um, Cindy thinks that there should be a primalista on every single corner in Australia. And don't listen to her in the interview when she calls Primal Alternative Primal Pantry. She was in the flow and I didn't want to correct her that <laughs> the business is Primal Alternative, but Primal Pantry is a very good company as well. And um, we're all on the same mission, right? We all want to make grain-free easy for everybody and doing a good job of it too. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Cindy really thinks that uh, it's, it, you know, people who want to be um, of service to people in their community, who want to contribute and give back, then being a primalista uh, is a great option. So I'm really, really grateful for all of the um, collaborations that Cindy likes to do and to, um, and to offer me the opportunity to really, you know, put Primal Alternative in front of a larger audience of her amazing people like you, you listener. I'm so grateful you're here. It would be nothing without you. So thank you for tuning in. It's a real honor to have you here. Very grateful. Now, before we jump into the show, I just wanted to tell you a real snapshot about what Primal Alternative is, in case you're like, who is this woman? I'm H. I had my own health crisis, uh, which led me to uh, a primal lifestyle, essentially. And um, that, mean, that meant ditching some inflammatory foods like grains, industrial seed oils, and sugar. And on my mission to create a healthier life, I missed bread and I missed pizza night. And my husband said, we couldn't do this without cookies. So I went back into the kitchen and I messed around with some recipes, came up with some great recipes and um, trained as a health coach so that I could help other people get rid of their chronic illness and fatigue and brain fog and all the other things that I was experiencing as well. Now, as a health coach, I got kickback. People were like, it's okay for you. You like spending all the time in your kitchen, but I've got a real job and um, I'm out of the house all day. I don't get in until six o'clock at night. I don't have time to slow cook the meat, chop the veggies. And then, you know, I might start off really good at the beginning of the week, but by Friday, I am over at itch and I've just ended up getting a takeaway and I feel like crap. I've undone all my good work and I've fallen off the wagon. I'm a failure. So I offered to cook for these people and that's how Primal Alternative was born. After I did that for about 18 months, uh, just serving my local community at farmer's markets and in my health food shop, a gourmet pizza shop, our local IGA and uh, just the health food shops and cafes, um, I got divine inspiration to franchise this business. What? I've never done any franchising before. What a crazy idea. But I went with it. I blindly put one foot in front of the other and have created a international, an international? Yeah, an international <laughs> franchise business with, um, where I've sold over 100 franchises in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, 
and America, which is just bonkers, isn't it? And so if you've got a passion for clean living, if you want to, if you have a real burning desire to help other people on their health journey, and you want to be your own boss and create your own really cool business where you have got total autonomy around how much you bake and how many days you work. There's no minimum standards. It's not multi-level marketing. Not that there's anything wrong with multi-level marketing, but this isn't it. It's just a little business that's all the hard work has been nutted out and it's just gift boxed for you and you can adapt it to your life and be part of our international network of other home bakers. And we come together by the power of a Facebook group to hold each other accountable, celebrate success, and of course, seek advice, right? And, and have each other's back. And it's that beautiful sisterhood, collaborative uh, culture. So if, for example, uh, you're sick or your kids are sick or you want to have a holiday, you can reach out to another producer in your area and ask them to look after your orders while you take a break. It's that cool. So it's also really important to point out that it is a low entry level franchise. So it's a five grand buy-in. So obviously there's GST on top of that and there are royalties of 25 bucks a week. That's it. Um, So in terms of the new skills that you're going to learn, the new experiences you're going to have and the growth that you'll have from running your own business, it's a pretty good personal development package as well. So I'd love you to go and check it out primalalternative.com. You'll find out um, how the franchise works on there. Um, The next step, if you're interested in becoming a Primalista, is to apply for an interview with me. I'm the founder and I will interview you. You'll also see all of our range on there as well. So if you want to check out macros, nutrition, information panels, ingredients, it's all on there. We've got an online shop. And we have got a list of stockists on there as well, if you'd prefer to shop in person, as well as a list of all of our primalistas across the world. We partner with Quirky Cooking to bring you their grain-free pastry and their sweet potato pastry and macadamia and currant cookies, which are just way too Moorish. And also with Pete Evans, holy moly, pinch me now, um, to bring a no-nut hemp bread, which is best-selling bread and one of my personal favorites. I'm going to get some of that shipped out to the beautiful Cindy and let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show, Cindy O'Meara. What an honor to have you on the Primal Alternative podcast. Uh, It's an honor to be on here, Helen. (laughs) So cool to have you here. And before we jump into all things Cindy, tell me what you had for breakfast this morning. Ah, well, um, I had papaya um, with some passion fruit and because they're straight off my tree. So that's all I had for breakfast this morning. But my breakfast change, it just depends. Sometimes it's cater, sometimes it's some of your beautiful bread with a bit of butter on it. Um, it's, it. It just changes so much. But at the moment, because the papayas are out in season and passion fruit are, are, are just finding it really refreshing at the moment. That sounds delicious. Oh, and coffee. I and did coffee. have a long black. <laughs> so is that, so you, you just take your coffee just straight up, long black? Long black. I, so I get up and I swim um, early in the morning. And so I did my swim and then my daughter and I went for coffee. And, yes, I have a long black and I do the crossword with her. It's just our little thing that we do together. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. I like that ritual. Mm. 
That's really, really cool. Yeah. And you're a very nice ritual. <laughs> it is. It sounds lovely. Um, I interviewed Kim last week and she had exactly what you had for breakfast today. But she had papaya with lime juice on because she's doing your uh, four phase fat. What is it called? Four phase fat. Yeah. The fat loss protocol. That. Yeah. We were actually doing it together. And then when I finished, which was on Sunday, I just finished. I just keep on the ritual because it's so nice. So, yeah, we, I told her that I was doing a clean out because I felt um, I always find if I'm a bit sluggish, that's the best thing that I do. So can you tell us a little bit more about that program? Because when Kim told me about it, I was like, hmm, this sounds really interesting. And I know a couple of my primalistas have done it as well and really yeah. swear by it. So how does it work? Okay, so... Um, why don't I start back as to when I first did it? Okay. So, uh, you know, I've been a nutritionist um, and studying nutrition for nearly four decades. And I know what to eat. I know how to eat. Uh, I've been, that's my speciality. And so for my whole life, through my pregnancies, through my babies having food, you know, through their teenage years, you know, we ate good. I ate food that I bought as individual ingredients and then I made up everything from scratch, including breads and muffins and cookies and cakes and everything was made from scratch. I um, had a Thermomix and I was not doing well in my health. I started to put on weight. I'd put on around nine kilos more than I would have. That took about two years to come on. I was getting aches and pains. I had a constant low back pain despite having a husband who was a chiropractor. I had right hip pain where I would get up and I would be in so much pain with my right hip. I'd go, because I have a girlfriend who's 10 years older than me and she'd had a hip replacement and I'm thinking, mm. is this where I'm heading? Um, I had tightness in my throat. My hair wouldn't grow. My skin was dry. My mind, which I didn't realise at the time, my brain was foggy, but I didn't realise it at the time because I had nothing to compare it with because it was a slow, steady thing. And I found this um, diet online that was an old 1970s diet. It was called Pounds and Inches. And I disagreed with it completely, absolutely completely. It was about calories. It was about no fat. It was about all this stuff. And I just, but I could see the results that people were having. And I thought, well, I'm, I don't know where to go from here because I eat everything well. I'm organic. I do everything right. Let me do this protocol. So what it is is, and this is what I've done is I've changed it because he had in the 1970s, he, he was having wheat products in the, in the program that were Melba toasts and Grassini's. And I looked at the ingredients and I thought, well, I'm not going to eat them normally. So why would I eat them now? So I just replaced it with a piece of fruit. And I changed a lot of things that I felt was the right thing to do, but sticking to the principles. So the principles are this, that we are living in a society where low fat is king for the most part. Not many people are on the ketogenic or high fat, low carbohydrate diet. So, you know, we are in a low fat um, realm and the first two days, um, so there's four phases to it. The first two days is that you fat load, but he didn't specifically say fat load. He said, just eat a lot. But when I looked at the science behind it, I realized it was actually fat that we really needed. So um, I just made sure that I had lots of good quality fats for that first two days. And what that does is that allows the body to store a little bit of fat, in, not in um, stored fat, 
but in readily usable fat. And you do that for two days. And then for between 21 and 43 days after phase one, you go into phase two, you um, eat 200 grams of meat a day, 100 gram lunch and dinner, lots of green leafy vegetables um, like broccoli. You can have collie, um, but lots of salads and spinaches and things like that. And um, three pieces of winter fruit. So that's the, the context of the diet. And it is about putting you into ketosis, which he didn't know about. He didn't have that understanding. But what we realize now is that when we reduce the amount of food that we're eating and we take fat out of the diet, we allow the body to use the fat cells that have got stored fat in them that we've been storing for years. <laughs> and people do. We store our fat for years. So it's a wonderful storage system. And the longest fast ever and this was not even eating the foods that we ate, but they, this man ate nothing, went for 380-something days. He lost, um, I think it was 150 kilos and survived because he was 200-something kilos and he went down to 98 kilos. So we know that fasting allows the body to use the fat cells. And these fat cells have um, toxins in them. So you also release toxicity. So my first three days, the first time I ever did it, I slept nonstop. My team would find me on the couch in my office sound asleep. I was in bed by seven. I didn't get up till eight. Um, I barely could keep my eyes open. That was the first three days. And I lost four and a half kilos in wow. that time. And what that is is not fat because you cannot lose fat that quick. That's water. That's inflammation that had died down in three days. So I was walk. I was doing it with a girlfriend at the time, and I was walking with her. And on about day five or six, she said to me, and we walked every day. She said, "Why are you not doing your usual stretch for your back? Oh. And why are you not complaining about your hip? And why, you know?" She asked me all these questions, and I went, "Oh my gosh, that's all gone. My sore hips disappeared. This is days." So that's inflammation. So that all disappeared. And then over a period of 21 days, which is phase two for me, you can do it longer. But for me, I lost nine kilos of weight. I lost every ache and pain. On day 10, I rang Kim Morrison and I said to her, I feel like I'm connected to the universe. Mm. I feel like there are tentacles reaching into my brain and waking it up. I feel joy. I feel happiness. I feel feel elation and she said you doing drugs Cindy <laughs> <laughs> give me some of that stuff I said, no. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said I mean no you know me I don't do drugs I I just was I, I could not explain the feeling and that just continued and then um, you go into phase three which is you have these support drops and you stop taking the support drops and the body releases all of that um, I'll stop using the fat and you're going to start eating again. So then you start eating certain foods. So you gradually in introduce um, more food into the diet and more fats and then you start to introduce different food groups. And so on day, I think it was about day 10 of phase four, maybe day 14 of phase four, I was at the Woodford Folk Festival and um, there was nothing for me to eat out there. And, and so all I was doing was eating my papaya and an apple. And at the end of the day, when I didn't think I was going to be there, I thought, oh, I've got to eat. So I went to Gopal's, which is a vegetarian place. And it, 
and I ate um, wheat. I ate grain. Mm. And the next day I put on nearly 900 grams of weight. I, my brain stopped working. My sore back came back. I just went, what the hell just happened? And then what happened was I thought, well, I have a problem with wheat. Why do I have a problem with wheat? I've never had a problem with wheat. I've eaten wheat all my life. How can wheat be my problem? You know, I went into a spastic state of <laughs> I don't want to give up wheat. I like wheat. I like bread. I like making my own bread. I like cake. I like cookies. I like, mm-hmm. you know. So I went into this absolutely spastic state of I'm going to have to give it up. Why do I have to give it up? You know, no, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then I went on a research binge about it and that's what culminated into my um, my beautiful documentary, What's With Wheat, because I learnt from these amazing experts around the world and I interviewed them all, I travelled the world and, uh, and you know, um, and wheat, wheat was my issue. Wheat was a real problem to me. And so what we've realised, you know, so I did it. I was so excited about it. I introduced it to my people. I said, look, this is what I've just done. I have never felt so good in my life. I know I've told you to eat these foods, but this is what I've done. Why don't you do it? And within a week of me producing the whole thing and and getting it all ready, I think it was thousands that signed up thousands that signed up for it in a week Uh and we were getting transformational results you know 80 kilos lost over a two-year period there was 60 kilos lost if fertility issues um um or that disappeared they got pregnant um autoimmune issues disappeared it was it was absolutely phenomenal what we saw happen and we have tweaked it to working the best that it can in modern day communities and what what is happening um and we're actually doing some research with it at the moment we have um 20 people that have offered to be in our research and they all have insulin resistance or diabetes they all have um cholesterol issues and what we're doing as uh, as of june 25th 2019 we will um be doing some research on this um this program and i already know what the results are going to be because i know what happens when we go into autophagy and when we go into reducing the amount of calories and when we take away inflammatory foods, I know what's going to happen to these women and these men. It's, it's, um, it's going to be life-changing, but it's just so nice to be doing bloods on them and, and having their doctors, you know, seeing what happens to them. So I know that's a long... <laughs> I love it. You know, it's a long it. story about it. It's, it's beautiful, it is. And, and I'd love to get Cindy. I'd love to get like a, give me some um, timeline on this. Like, so when you first did your version of um, what was it called? Pounds and inches? Is that what it's called? It yeah, sounds pounds so, and inches. It was, yeah, so, it was called pounds and inches. So yeah. And so when yeah, was, it was that? Very so when did you do that? And and had you was this the first time that you'd gone without wheat? Yes, twenty twelve. Right. 2012. It was 2012. So when I look back at What's With Weed and the documentary I did, you realise that the desiccation of the wheat grain with Roundup was beginning around the year 2000 onward. And even though I had organic wheat, there would have been contaminations. Um, And there would have been contamination in a lot of our foods when this desiccation process started with Roundup. And so I actually don't have an issue with wheat because when I eat, so we have um, a wheat called Emma wheat in our 
um, marketplace in our food, um, in the Changing Habits food, when I eat emma wheat, I don't have a problem. And emma wheat is grown biodynamically, it's organic, it's an ancient wheat. It's when we eat this wheat that we've done now. And, and since I have become absolutely the till of the hun of organic food because I know where they're spraying Roundup. And Roundup, or glyphosate, is the active ingredient, is a known, and these are patented knowns. This isn't just known. This is a patent by Monsanto that it is a chelating agent. It takes minerals out of the system, which stops biochemical reactions happening in the body. Number two, it stops the shikimate pathway in our plants, in our bacteria, in our fungi. And what that ends up doing is it, it's, it, that creates its herbicidal um, properties. And what it does to the plant is it gives it a type of AIDS, so um, an acquired immune deficiency syndrome. It gives it this AIDS. And so all the soil bacteria that is pathological start eating the plant and that's why it dies, whether it's a wheat grain, whether it's a legume, whether it's a strawberry field, whether it's a it's broad spectrum across the, uh, across the board. So it, it destroys the shikimate pathway and, and causes like an a, a acquired... Um, deficiency of their immune system and the third thing it's patented for is it's patented as an antibiotic so it's destroying the microbiome of our bodies it's destroying the microbiome of plants sorry of um, animals so chickens cows anything that is fed uh, grain a seed that has been sprayed with glyphosate or has glyphosate on it it is destroying their microbiota. They're becoming infertile. They're becoming sicker. There are diseases that we're seeing in the animal world as, as well as the human world. So my problem with wheat occurred because I believe of agricultural practices changing. And it wasn't just me, you know. It was a lot of people. And so when people say, oh, is this just a fad? Well, it's a fad as long as the agricultural practices allow the desiccation of food or allow food to be sprayed with this antibiotic um, chelating agent and dest destroyer of the shikimate pathway causing immune deficiencies. You know, I, 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 when anybody tells me that they've got pandas or pans or autism or this or that. And I, and I understand the, the biochemistry behind their condition. And I understand that the gut has a lot to do with a lot of these conditions because they're allergies or food sensitivities or gastrointestinal problems or even Crohn's or IBS. I, I, I can't see anything else that is the root cause but the agricultural practices that changed from 1995 with genetically modified foods and with the desiccation of our, our food supply and that, that um, 70 foods are allowed to be sprayed on, around or near with Roundup, which means that it will be contaminated. Therefore, we are contaminated with it. Therefore, we have some real health issues that we are now seeing amongst our children, um, amongst uh, the people... In, in our age bracket, you know, the working class people in our age bracket, as well as our elderly have Alzheimer's, dementia or inflammatory diseases that they can't move. It's, a, it's horrible. It's, it's absolutely horrific.
So again, just on, on like a time frame. So it's, you said 1995 since genetically modified foods came into our food supply. But how long have, how long have the, um, the foods been spread, Cindy, with glyphosate? And, and how can we, is there a correlation to that with the rise of chronic illness? Yes, and there is. And um, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, as well as quite a few other scientists now, are showing that association. So what they do is that they show the amount of glyphosate that's sprayed and it's a upward exponential to curve so they show that and then they show the rise in parkinson's in autoimmune disease in multiple sclerosis in autism in um, chronic disease um, that uh, across the board um, there's graphs and um, i don't know where i have those graphs i have them in powerpoint but i'm just trying to think if i have them online but they have these association graphs and it was this association graphs that started people questioning uh, the use of this chemical on our food supply. And people like Dr. Stephanie Sneff, Dr. Don Huber, um, Anthony Samsell, um, Robert Kennedy now, all of these people started to question this practice and the known safeness of it. So there'll be people out there listening to this that'll go, but I was told that it was safe, that there's nothing wrong with it. I've yeah. been putting it on my vegetable garden, you know. Yeah. So in America at the moment, what is happening is that um, there's been three law cases against Monsanto and uh, its signature glyphosate um, herbicide. And by the way, the Australian a regulatory body, the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority, have registered 596 products in Australia with glyphosate in it. And and I'm on their, their back and they are not changing. They said it's perfectly safe, there's nothing wrong with it. So let's go to America and let's see what's happening in America. So there are three court cases that have been happening. The first court case finished October last year, 2018, and the damages that were given to the plaintiff who had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because of a spill of Roundup on his skin, mm. um, he was awarded $293 million, I believe it was, later reduced to $80 million. The second plaintiff which finished, I think, January this year, he received 80 million. Most of it was in punitive damages because Monsanto lied outright. The last case that finished a week ago was two, a little old couple, they'd been using Roundup on their garden for 30 years. Both got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma together. They were awarded $2 billion and $55 million, so $2 billion and $55 million wow. they were awarded. Saying that, what it's saying is that Monsanto has lied, this chemical is dangerous, it's causing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, they don't know the mechanism, but they are, this is the thing, is that when you think it's a chelating agent, it's an inflammatory, it causes, you know, uh, an, an immune deficiency in plants, fungi, and bacteria, and we carry bacteria in our body and we eat plants. Um, and when you consider that it's an antibiotic, then you can see that it's wrecking havoc on the body. But it's not just that that is the problem. We are seeing untold problems in human health 
Um, and it is this association that awakened the scientists to say, okay, we have this association, now let's look at the mechanism. And so then the mechanism is seen through the shikimate pathway, the chelation process and the antibiotic. Um, and it's a very strong antibiotic when it's got surfactants and, um, and other um, ingredients with it that make it work better. Of course, you know, we do that with vaccinations. We, we give it adjuvants to make the immune system work better. Um, and by the way, glyphosate has been found in uh, quite a few vaccines because the vaccines are being, or the, the bacteria for these vaccines are being grown on egg, eggs. Mm -hmm. So any chook that's eating grain that's got glyphosate will then have um, glyphosate in the egg yolk and if the bacteria or the virus or whatever the, is in the vaccine is being grown on it, then they're going to take that glyphosate with them. So, or anything that's grown on gelatin in the vaccine. So, um, you know, they've found glyphosate um, through the ELISA test um, and these are people like Stephanie Seneff, Anthony Samsel, um, Moms Across America and, you know, the EPA, the CDC, um, the FDA, they're not doing anything. They're not following up this, but they're taking note of Robert Kennedy, who's the, the main um, lawyer that heads the case against Monsanto. He's also heads the case against Merck. Um, Merck's been lying on, on um, so many issues. Like it's just, you know, I, I know I've gone down a tangent here, but the tangent is this, is that we have to make a stand as activists, as individual activists to say, no more, I'm buying organic foods. I am buying foods that um, are made that I know where the food's coming from. Like for your, you know, for, for your beautiful primal pantry, it's being made by somebody in my, in my neighborhood. We know where the ingredients are coming from. We know there's not an additive, a preservative, a flavor, a color. We don't know what contaminants we're now finding in these additives, preservatives and flavourings. So, um, you know, this is what we need to go back to. We need to go back to becoming activists, but activists voting with our pocket. Uh, also uh, talking to our council, talking and saying we don't want glyphosate or Roundup sprayed on our um, playgrounds. Mm. We don't want it sprayed anywhere. So, you know, you asked me about the program and the program came into my life because of agricultural practices that were causing health issues with me. And I'm someone who's never taken a drug in my life. I've never taken an antibiotic, painkiller, nothing. I should be the peak of health, but I wasn't. But I just had to find the fig and figure out what was it that was causing that. And I don't know, I, like I believe in um, manifesting. I believe that if I'm looking for something and I'm asking the universe for uh, an answer to my, you know, my queries, that it will come. Mm -hmm. And I felt that this old pounds and inches came at the, look, if you showed it to me probably three years ago before 2012, like in 2009, when I wasn't having the issues, I probably would have just dismissed it. Yeah. But because it came at a time when I was in a crisis, I, I just, yeah, I just think that, and that's what this is all about. This is about manifesting the life that you want, understanding what they're doing and making sure that we are creating the best for our children and ourselves in this life. What if this is heaven? What if this is what it's meant to be like? What if this is um, 
this is a great place. And when people have depression and anxiety, we have to look at the gut. Then we have to look at the food we're eating and then we have to look at the agriculture practices. And I, I keep coming back to that agricultural practice and that the wide sweeping um, chemicals that are just being sprayed on our food. Who ever thought that it was okay to put poison on our food? That's just but unbelievable. That's the, thing. That's, the <laughs> that's the, and you know, everything that you've said so far, Cindy, oh my goodness, like it's a big, it's like a kick in the guts, isn't it? When you hear it all, you're like, what are we doing? Yeah. How can this even be the reality? You know, it's, it's absolutely, it's so gutting. Literally, that's the feeling that, that I have. Um, but, you know, I live in a rural area where there is lots of farming and the farmers really believe that glyphosate is safe. Our local council really believe that it's okay to spray, you know, all of the grass in the kiddies' playground because they're going to, like, resurface it with some plastic. Um, and they, they want to, you know, they, they think that's okay. And the only the first time the parents who are a little bit more aware and don't think glyphosate is okay the first we see of it is when the grass starts to die and we've been spending all week, you know, playing there with our kids. Like this is, this is like the reality of the world that we live in. So what can we do? Um, I know obviously we can, we've got some great power um, at a grassroots level as consumers. We can vote with our dollar. We don't need to feel so gutted. We can go and choose, as you've said, organic products and you know, even um, organic grain for our chickens, absolutely. You know, I didn't realize that the glyphosate would come through the grain that they eat. So that's like, that's one change I'm going to be making after this, after this mm. episode, for sure. But what can we do to help increase awareness and knowledge for, um, for our farmers and empower, um, empower them so we can all benefit from it? Because it sort of feels at the moment that it's a bit of a um, minority activist group, do you, do you reckon? Look, it is a minority, but it's growing. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have some big grain farmers as friends and they know uh, what's happening. But you have to realise that they rely on their income in order for, um, you know, for them to survive. So if they're not using Roundup, they're going to have to find something else um, or they're not going to be able to do their crops or they may have to till their soil and that's all about conservation. So it is a, it's a new mindset and um, one beautiful woman who's um, a farmer who I probably converse with every single week and we're trying to find, a, uh, you know, a solution to this. And she said, I said to her, if it's going to be anything like DDT, the awareness of DDT started in the 60s. And by 1973, it was banned on food. So that took 13 years. Now, the awareness of glyphosate has been happening since 2012, as far as I know, if not before 2010, if not before, but really starting about 2010. So I said to her, we probably have five years left where, where farmers can continue to do it, but then they're going to ban it. And then they're going to have to find an alternative. And the ones that are thinking now are going to be the ones that are already halfway there. And, I, you know, it's a, you just have to look out there. There are farmers doing amazing things who have figured out a different, what they can do differently and how they can change it. Um, and you just, it, it's about finding them. And, it, and this, this, I could go on and on and on about the farmers in Australia that are doing it. And in actual fact, at our summit, so I have a nutrition um, education 
So I guess it grow. Like, let me go back to the grassroots because mm-hmm. that's where it's got to start. So, at a grassroots level, it's one person making a noise. It's somebody like me mm-hmm. who rings the council and says, "Do you ring, do you use glyphosate or Roundup or glyphosate containing products on the playground?" And they said, "Yeah." They say yes, and that you say, "Well, here is the information. I'm giving it all to you. I just want you to know that if." I have my dog off the lead on the beach. I never get off because I'm ignorant for that fact. Or if I've parked too long in a place, I never get off that fine because I'm ignorant of the fact. So I want you to know you have all this information now. You are no longer ignorant of the fact of the science behind glyphosate and Roundup. And if you continue to spray it, I will take you to court. And I've written this letter and I've given it to my council and I have made it available for everybody to give to their council. So if there are people out here listening to this, Helen, that want to do this, we will make sure we've got the link to that in your show notes so that they can uh, do this. The other people that we have to attack, and I'm afraid I have to attack them, mm-hmm. is the Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicine Authority. They're our regulators. They are paid by Monsanto to register their, the product, their product. They are paid our yearly fee and they are paid on all sales of anything that has glyphosate in it. So there are 500, you put it down, there are 596 products with glyphosate in it registered here in Australia. It's the biggest seller. It's worth billions of dollars. Even if they're getting $1 billion, they're making a lot of money on that product. They're not going to stop it. So I have a letter for them also. So you can, and I have an email as well. So you, all you have to do is cut, paste, put your name in it, send it to them. And with the council one, all you have to do is every time you see Sunshine Coast Council, you just put your council name in there. You find the head of parks. It's all in the, it's all detailed. That's on a, you know, being an activist on a, a, on a, a bigger level, but being an activist on an individual level is you have to buy foods from your local farmers, from people who um, are not going to spray these chemicals, chlorpyrifos, atrazine, dicamba, glyphosate. There's lots of them. I just, I just know that glyphosate is the most heavily sprayed one and that's why I'm picking on it and we do also know its action. Um, but dicamba is going to be scarier if, you know, I know the Tasmania um, in Hobart, the council there sprayed dicamba on the parks because, oh, we don't spray glyphosate, mm. we're spraying dicamba. Mm. But dicamba is causing infertility in bigger, you know, like that's just another story and I'm not going to go there. So that's, that's how we do it. And, and the reason I have an education program called the Functional Nutrition Academy is to educate and help mothers, professionals, dads, um, young millenniums to educate themselves on what is happening out there and to become the spokesperson for their community and to become the expert in their community that is able to teach and, 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 and able to teach them where do we buy food, who's the best farmer to buy from, who's the best butcher, do I, where do I get my meat, um, who can I have spray my place for cockroaches that aren't going to use those harmful chemicals. Um, how do I change my pantry? My kid's got autism. I've got to do the GAPS program. What do I do? How do I do it? You know, yeah. so I have created my 
you know, my 12-month program in order to, number one, help the mother that has a child or has a family that's in a really bad way. Um, and number two, um, if they want to become community leaders. I was watching a brilliant documentary. It was free online last week and it was called Secret Ingredient. And it was all, um, Jeffrey Smith is one of my heroes um, and he's been on the GMO glyphosate bandwagon for probably 20 years. More GM than glyphosate, but, you know, of course, with GM, genetically modified foods, comes glyphosate. And he does this brilliant documentary. It goes for about an hour. And it's, he addresses the first um, one that pops up as a family. And the woman talks about her health issues and the, the father talks about his health issues and then they talk about the kids' health issues. And between them, and I can't remember if there's four or five in the family, there are 21 chronic diseases that they are suffering. Wow. So they go on an organic diet. They get rid of chemicals out of their house and miracles happen. They get rid of all genetically modified foods, all foods sprayed with glyphosate and miracles happen. And then they interview another family and then another family. And, you know, like it's two years on. It's, it's, they're interviewed first in 2015 and then this is a 2019 documentary, so they probably re-interviewed them in 2018. The miracles are incredible. It's like one by one everybody gets better. I, I just, um, we have to do this for our future generations a new study came out of uh, West uh, Washington State University. Now, two new studies have come out out of Washington State University. They were noticing that Roundup and glyphosate was being sprayed on foods and, and everywhere. And so they felt that it was something that they should study. So the first study came out in January and they showed the link between non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, glyphosate. The second study came out and it was a rat study, but it was a study of generations of, of um, people who have, or rats, who have been eating food that has glyphosate in it. So the first generation, yeah, they had chronic disease and things like that. Second generation had fertility issues. 50% of the rats couldn't get pregnant. And then the third generation, um, I, I don't remember the exact, you know, details of all the generations that happened because you should have seen the illnesses as it, it just got worse and worse and even if the first generation had glyphosate then the second and third generation who weren't eating glyphosate still had the same issues wow so, yeah we have to wake up we yeah. cannot continue to blindly go with cognitive dissonance into the grocery store and forget reading the ingredients or even think that anything in there is worth eating. I don't go to a grocery store. I don't purchase from them. I um, have my own garden. I have, um, I'm part of a community um, ag supported agriculture, CSA, um, where I support a farmer on foods that I don't um, grow he grows so I support him at $60 a week for his box I, um, I buy everything online that's organic or at my local health food store which is a gorgeous little health food store that I go to and I can buy my you know my dry foods there and changing habits um, well, you know sometimes it takes two years to bring a food to market because we test it we check it we go to the farm we figure out what they're doing and I've just chosen that the grocery stores don't have my best interest only the sh their shareholders do they care about they don't care about my health otherwise they wouldn't have on their their stores 
um, you know, chickens that are not free range and not organic or meat that has been, um, you know, grain fed and in the last six weeks they can call it grass fed but you know maybe their last six weeks of life they're in a, a grain store eating all the grain that's filled with glyphosate mm. <laughs> so i can't support um them anymore i just can't it's just yeah cindy you're such an inspiration and and, and you know just absolute guiding light in terms of um changes that we can make but do you see in the future i feel quite hopeful um do you see a glyphosate free Australia, do you think that our bigger farmers who are spraying at the moment, is there going to be an alternative that they can use and, and not go out of business? Well, there are families doing it now. Uh, so I know that it's possible. And um, do, do I see a lot of cognitive dissonance in the farmers? Yes. I, I see it all the time. I've, I've spoken to farmers and they get their hackles up and they walk away mm. from me. Um, and they, they say, oh, this is the best. Even the president of the Farmers Federation said on the last um, court case that, you know, the couple won $2 billion, even, um, you know, the, the president of the, the Farmers Federation said, this has been the best thing for conservation. We don't have to till our soil. And, um, yes, she's right, effect of the ecology of the soil, there will be a point where they will not be able to grow anything on their soils. Mm. There will be a point where they'll be using so many chemicals and they'll have to grow um, a certain type of wheat or, or whatever it is and their chemical bill will be higher than their profits. So, And I've talked to farmers and they know this. They know that there's going to be that tipping point. And so they either have to say, or like I have a friend who's out in Western Australia and he has 13,000 acres under wheat and he is taking bits and pieces of his land and he's putting that and changing it. And so he's changing bit by bit. And that to me is prudent. That to me, and he doesn't desiccate, so he will not desiccate his crops, but he is in an area where desiccation is not as needed as in a wet area. Uh, but to me, I, I asked APBMA if they would even just stop the regulation of the desiccation of any crop. That's where I asked them to start. I didn't even ask for a ban on it. I just said, at least let's do that. But they said, no. No, there's no, there's no science. There's nothing out there that's telling us that. So um, it'll happen. You wait. I don't know when, Helen, but I do know the more people that do what I do, what you do, um, it, it, it'll just accumulate and farmers will have to change because they won't be able to sell their grain. They won't be able to, number one, sell it overseas if it's contaminated with glyphosate. Now, now this is really interesting. Um, so I uh, saw the grain growers, one of the heads of the grain growers come out to say that, that wheat in Australia uh, had very minor amounts of glyphosate in it and that it was in the parts per million, it was, um, it was smaller than um, what Vietnam was proposing that they were going to ban glyphosate in. So I rang them. I've, first of all, he tweeted it, so I tweeted him back, tweeted him back, and I said, well, can you tell me the parts per million or billion that it is? He didn't answer me. Mm. So I rang grain growers and I asked and they still didn't answer me. So I... Uh, rang a week later and I got this woman on the on the line and she knew who I was. Oh, yes. 
you tweeted, tweeted that or something. And I went, yeah, I want to know the answer. If you're going to say it, you must need to know what it is. Tell me what it is. Still haven't been able to tell me. So I had this lovely man, Luke, from Grain Growers send me um, a message on how I can find out. So I go to how I can find out, and it's called the maximum residue level, so MRL. So for SANS, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand, um, and uh, APVMA uh, have a recommendation on the maximum residue level that is allowed in certain foods. And that is based on how much of the chemical they spray on that food, not based on what's safe and what's not, but how much is sprayed on that food. So if we take wheat, wheat will be five parts per million. If we take the wheat bran, it's 20 parts per million. If we take broccoli, let's say, it's 0.5 parts per million. So then when they test it, they don't tell you how many parts per million it is, they just say that it is under half or equal to the parts per million that the MRL is. So they don't even tell you mm. what it is. And when you have a look at the research, that 0.7 parts per billion causes kidney and liver issues in water with people drinking water, and they're allowing five parts per million in our wheat, but they're not telling me exactly what that number is, then we are blind and we are ignorant and we are not being told the truth and we are being blindsided by um, our farmers. Um, well, not so much the farmers because I think the farmers' hearts are in the right place, but we are being blindsided by the authorities mm-hmm. uh, and that's where we need to wake up, become educated, stop being ignorant, um, stop having cognitive dissonance and... Um, make a stand and you can do it. It's, it's not hard. Growing, like I just um, planted in my farm about eight weeks ago now, I planted $75 worth of seedlings. Now, I could have bought seeds and it would have cost me $20, but I chose to do seedlings. I have so much food I, for my whole family. I cannot eat it all. I'm starting to give it away to my um, community-supported agriculture guy who, who's who I buy from. <laughs> so, you know, it's we got to get our priorities. And, you know, little, little, little small gardens like that are just, they make such a difference and um, are so beneficial as well for the, for the home gardener who's got their hands in the soil and they're getting exposure to all those beautiful microbes and just the actual, the satisfaction. And I'm a seedling person as well, Cindy, because I don't you know, I don't seeds a bit too hard. Just took the seedlings in and they're easy to work with. Um, you know, and it's, it, it is hugely satisfying. And even if it's just um, to pop in some really easy, uh, easy to grow things like leafy greens or herbs or potatoes that don't need a lot of love, you can kind of chuck them in the ground and forget about them. Um, even just little things like that and, and enriching the soil with some beautiful, you know, poo from down the road and composting all of your scraps and, you know, using your chicken poo to add to your soil, all of these things that, you know, you sort of feel, um, oh, it's not really going to make a big difference on the global scale. But it actually does if, if so many people are just having their own little um, home veggie patch and and contributing like that it's a huge contribution to the planet isn't it Cindy 
Oh, most definitely. And the other, like I take all my compost up to the farm. So I bring all the food down. Um, so I'm 40 minutes from my farm. So I bring it all down and anything that I don't eat goes into the compost, goes back up to the farm. And um, one day my, my everything was going mouldy and my son said to me, oh, Mum, I can't feed it to the chalks. It's mouldy. And so what I ended up doing was I dug a hole in my garden and I dumped it in the garden and then buried it. So I dug it really deep. Well, I have pumpkin, tomato, <laughs> corn. Um, you should see it. It's incredible what is growing there. I've got lettuces growing up. I've got uh, rocket. And I, I, I looked at it the other day and I went, oh, my gosh, that's where I threw that compost the other day. You know, like I think it was, I don't know when it was, but... I cannot believe what is growing and I'm just going to let it grow. I figured, oh, well. It's so you much know. fun, isn't it? Like it's so much fun <laughs> when you do those things. Or, you know, you, you don't get around to like picking all the pumpkins out and then next year, you know, this pumpkin's rotted and the seeds have gone into the ground and next year you've just, you know, got, voila, you've got yeah. your own pumpkin patch. You didn't even do anything. It's just all yeah. made it by itself. Like I love it. It's absolutely lovely. Now I'm going to take a complete segue while we've got yes. you for the final 10 minutes of the show, Cindy, because, um, I really like to focus on how people's lives can change so much when they um, when they improve their health and how you know uh, they then want to go on and help other people like you've done. And I'm also really interested to find out how the hell people like Cindy O'Meara have their shit together so well. I mean, you always look amazing. You're always absolutely right. You know, smart as anything, absolutely bright as a button. Uh, you do amazing things in the world. And just before the show, we were talking about all of the things you've got to do within your business. And I'd just love to ask you, Cindy, how do you, how do you keep all your shit together? Would you have some secret, um, some secret solutions or some non-negotiables or daily rituals? Or are you just a superwoman? Uh, I think <laughs> number one, it's, it's your health, mental and physical. If you, bounding with energy and your brain is on like switched on you don't want to lay in bed you don't want to sit in front of a television I don't watch television by the way I've given it up I just decided that watching television and reading newspapers was depressing um, and I have certain people that I watch online that I want to know about like Robert Kennedy Del Big Tree um, you know and, and I listen to podcasts so if I'm in the car or if I'm walking or um, at night when I'm sitting down, I'll actually listen to a podcast um, and I do a puzzle at the same time. I don't know how I do it, but I just do a puzzle and, a, and listen to a podcast. So I think number one, it is your health. And, and I, I also think it's about looking. I, I was brought up always being grateful for things. So my dad is the gratitude king. So when my mum and my sister passed away, um, and they passed away five months apart, I remember my dad never, ever saying, oh, why me, why me? You know, he always said, I am so grateful that I had 50 years with your mother. Can you imagine 50 years I had with her? It's never, oh, she's been gone two years. It was, I had 50 years with her. And with Lisa, he would say things like, wasn't she an amazing chiropractor? Those people who were adjusted by her were the most grateful people, you know, and he says, I'm grateful for my siblings, I'm grateful for my parents, my kids, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. He's always been the man of gratitude. And 
one of my rituals is I write in my gratitude journal every day 10 things I'm grateful for. Whether I'm feeling like crap and I have nothing to be grateful for because I'm peeved off about something because somebody's sprayed glyphosate somewhere <laughs> <laughs> or I've had an argument with a farmer, um, I write in that. Uh, that's one thing I do is I write 10 things in my gratitude journal. Um, I get up every morning early. Um, my meditation is my swim. I, I used to try to meditate, but I'm too excited to get off my bed or my seat and I want to get on my bike and I want to ride down the beach. I just, I, I'm just a hyperactive in the morning. I don't want to sit and have to meditate. I'm better off doing that at night. So, But my meditation is my swim. So as I breathe, um, I imagine health in my body. I imagine my farm being successful. I imagine more people finding changing habits. I don't know. I just, it's my meditation time of, and sometimes I just want to look at the sunrise at 6.30 at the moment, the sun is about the, on rising and that's when I swim. And I just want to be in that ocean. And all I want to do is just, wow, look at that sun. You know, mm -hmm. um, I love watching the moon rise. I come home, so I have a coffee and I, I do the crossword um, with my daughter if she's home, with my husband if he's around, or by myself or with my girlfriend, Ricky. Um, so that's just my little ritual. Then I get home and I make my meals. I prep everything. So I prep my breakfast and my lunch. I take that to work. And then I'm thinking about dinner. What are we having for dinner? Right, I'll get that meat out. Or do I have all those, do I have everything? And I usually do. I'm so organized in my kitchen. That's another thing. I'm very organized in my pantry and my kitchen. Um, you know, I have my food delivered or it's for coming from the farm. Um, I very rarely have to go out for food because it's being delivered. I'm, I need to make this easy for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, work is sometimes reactive, but I try to have a default diary like, you know, today was not a default diary day, but it doesn't matter, you know. Mm -hmm. But I have things that I have to uh, achieve. So I had to achieve a live video and I had to achieve four videos on my product. So I do that. I had my majors and my minors. What are you doing in your majors? I'm writing a new book called The Healthy Keto um, Diet. And I'm also rewriting the genetically modified program in my Functional Nutrition Academy. So these are my majors that I have to do. I have to call someone. Oh, I have minors. Um, so I don't know. And then I go home and I make dinner and sit and listen to a podcast or do music and yeah, do a puzzle and fall asleep about 8.30 and I'm up at 5 <laughs> in the next morning. <laughs> so, that, um, so you've got yeah. health, and when I gratitude, Movement, meditation, envisaging, or, you know, visualizing what you want for the future. Nature, um, and just that feeling of awe and that connection in nature. Mm. Preparation, planning, your majors and your minors, and sleep. Yeah, sleep's oh. important. Yeah, there it is. And okay. and connect. We also do a lot of family time. So Sunday night, for instance, um, it was a on the spur of the moment come around, we've got the fire going. So we have an outdoor fire and it mm -hmm. goes every night in winter. Um, we've got the fire going. Um, I've got a heap of root vegetables. I'm going to make up some chips, um, bring some meat around and um, I'll make up salad from the garden. I, I'd just been up to the farm so I had heaps of salad. And, you know, my son comes around, his girlfriend, my daughter's there. Um, 
my son's two friends, a very close family um, friend comes round and her daughter and 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 the daughter's kids and and that's our Sunday, you know. So connection is also really really important. And I work with a group of amazing individuals as well. Amazing, just absolutely. You've you've created a wonderful life. Um, and it's, it just sounds, it sounds amazing. Now, before we let you go, let me know what your, you've already mentioned coffee. So I ask all my, um, all my guests, this Cindy is what is your personal opinion on the three kind of great areas when it comes to clean living, which are coffee, alcohol, and chocolate. Okay. Well, coffee, I'll have one a day. That's all I'd have. Um, and occasionally I'll have a second, but it's really occasional. And I never drink it after midnight, midday because I'm a very slow metabolizer of coffee. There are some people that are fast metabolizers, um, and we know this through biochemical processes. So I know I am a very slow one because it lasts me all day. Um, so that's my thing on coffee. Depending on your slow or fast will be when you stop drinking coffee. Number two, chocolate. Let's go there. There are chocolates on the market that have ingredients in it that are so dubious that the coffee tastes like smoke. It's foul. I've tasted it. I can't believe that people think that that is chocolate. I wouldn't touch it. But I have 100% cacao. Um, I make up all my own chocolates. We have Willie's chocolate in the marketplace, which is just stunning. We've been to the Willie's factory in, in, in the UK. Um, chocolate, to me, when the ingredients are right, and dark chocolate, not milk, because they'll use milk powders and you don't know what's happening with them. But uh, with the ingredients of cacao, maybe some malayo or rapadura sugar or honey or, or maple syrup and um, maybe some nuts in there and some cocoa butter or some coconut oil, depending on how hard or soft you want your chocolate. Like I have ingredients. I do this all the time. I make up barks. And to me... There's nothing wrong with it. It's what we've done to it. Just like there's nothing wrong with coffee, it's what we do to it. We add plastic, fantastic milks into it. We put sugar into it. We do all sorts of crap to our coffee. And the same with chocolate. Read your ingredients. Buy organic. Do have the best and there's nothing wrong with it. Now let's talk about alcohol because that's a different matter. So California, mums across America in California tested every single wine, white and red, in the California wine growing belt, organic or non-organic, and every single one of them had glyphosate in it. So it's really interesting. When I was doing the four phase for the first time, our fat loss protocol for the first time, wine was another thing that caused a problem with me. It inflamed me. It made me um, sleep I would just want to fall asleep straight after it. And I chose after doing the full phase never to drink wine again. So I did that back in 2012. But one thing that brightened me up, and the only reason I knew this is I was in Chamonix with some friends and one of my friends threw whiskies across and they were, we were doing shots of whiskies. And I went, all right, I've never done it before. I'll give it a go. So I did this shot of whiskey. I felt happy, fun. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing and it was only one shot and I went, what is it about whiskey? <laughs> so my husband and I went on a whiskey tour and we, we learned how whiskey was, um, you know, grown, distilled the whole lot and it is wheat um, or it could be barley. But what I did find out is that when 
whiskey was tested for glyphosate because it's a distilling process all the glyphosate is out mm. and that it's clean so if i want like i probably haven't had a whiskey for three weeks but if i am going to have one drink it will be a neat whiskey or a neat um clean spirit it will be a vodka a gin um, somewhere along there and it'll be one because I know what alcohol does to the liver and if I drink more than one I know the effects that it's doing not only to my brain but my body so I would do just a one shot of whiskey on ice and I enjoy it and I'll do it with oysters <laughs> oh oysters now you're talking <laughs> <laughs> half a dozen oysters it's, oh. it's just that thing I just I gotta have half a dozen oysters with a shot of whiskey. Uh, don't ask me, but that's, and, and, and I've kind of given you the, the reason why I do these things um, and, and how it all came out. And when I found out that, because I was thinking, oh, whiskey's got glyphosate and it's a wheat, mm. but when it was tested, it didn't. And that's because of the distilling. Um, but if it's fermented, it's not getting rid of the glyphosate. Mm. So um, I, don't drink, I don't drink any wine. I don't touch it. I don't even touch organic wine anymore. I just made my decision on that because I've been to an organic winery and across the road is the winery that's spraying glyphosate through the vineyard. Mm. So, it, you know, it's not completely clean even though they're not spraying it. It's probably less but it's still in parts per million and not parts per billion. Um, as far as, you know, we've just interviewed on Up for a Chat, we interviewed um, a girl that has a, a website called Sober in the Country and here's a young lady that didn't even know she was an alcoholic. So that was really interesting. She did by the end, but um, it was really interesting that I think you need to know how alcohol affects you and if it affects you greatly in it, the way it changes your personality, stay away from it. But if you can sit down and have one drink every three weeks or four weeks or once a week, um, then I don't think it's harmful. But as far as chocolate and coffee go, I don't see a problem with daily. <laughs> Not the self <self-act. laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, Cindy, when is your next intake for the functional nutrition course? Because I know you had an intake round in May. Uh, when is the next intake? August. In August. Okay, which will probably be August around May. the time that this episode is released. So that's, that's perfect timing. Um, and can you tell us how else can we, can we work with you? Well, I think the Functional Nutrition Academy is the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, although, no, it's not. Why, with that link that we're going to put in your show notes that will help them be activists, let's start there. Why don't you write to your council with my letter, write to the APVMA with my letter and um, start there. Um, working with me means all the things that we've been talking about. Um, but probably the most important thing is, is if you want to be someone who is a critical thinker and understands how to read headlines and science um, and even if you didn't make it to grade 11, you will still be able to do this. Um, whether you're a professional or a mum at home or a dad, this is, we, we allow it for, sep- for levels. Um, and that's where I would love to see everybody go. I want them to become educated, critical thinkers and community leaders. That's, that's the basis of it. Awesome. 
Awesome. And we'll put links in the show notes to, um, to your course and, um, of course, the council letter as well. Cindy, thank you so much for your time today. You're an absolutely amazing human and it's an honor to hang out with you today. Thank you, Helen. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.